Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan, I'm here today with Chris. Hey there. We're continuing our journey through Romans. Uh, and today you can decide if it was your choice to go through this or if you were just always destined to. Yes. And we, we're going to settle some <laughs> centuries old, even millenn- We're going to solve millenn- this? Millennia old debate. Oh, We're going to just solve it today? Well. I maybe, love that. Maybe that's uh, false, false hope there for people. <laughs> All right. So we are looking at Romans 8, 9, and 10, pretty much. A little bit of 11. Uh, well, no. 11 is tomorrow. So it's 8, 9, and 10. Um, what, what do you want to hit on first? I mean, I think chapter eight is just, uh, it's a beautiful passage. It's one that we reflect on quite a lot, but it's in many ways as Paul's gone through this theological journey of sin, salvation, sanctification, kind of towards the end of chapter eight, he just kind of bursts into worship. Yeah. He just kind of is like, this is just so amazing. And it just starts proclaiming the goodness of God. He's working for people's good. Yeah, we cannot be separated from his love. It's a lot of great verses to kind of meditate on in your personal devotions. But it's like his theology is really leading him to this place. It's leading him to a place of worship. Uh, and even the, the mystery of some of the things he's talked about, uh, I think that's part of what Paul worships. So, yeah, chapter 8 is a beautiful passage. Um, and it leads into even deeper mysteries when we get into chapter 9, 10, and 11, uh, which interestingly enough, when Paul gets into chapter 11, he worships again, because uh, he kind of is like, wow, this is just so deep and rich, I'm just going to go back to worship again. So, th- this this random worshiping in his letters, that's it's not just in Romans. Like, Paul actually mm-hmm. loves to just burst into worship as he's writing. You know, if you envision him kind of as a preacher. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he just gets so into what he's talking about that it's like, it just, worship just starts coming out of him. It does. It's, it's pretty compelling. Just, I mean, he's, he's clearly very driven by the things he's trying to teach and he cares about them very much. And obviously he cares very much about the heart of God and the mission of God. Um, and I think that he actually tries to dive into those topics in nine and Mm 10. We're going to learn a little bit more about the heart of God and also the mission of God. Right. And it's, it is interesting. Uh, some scholars have said, Romans chapter 9 through 11 are some of the most difficult passages in Scripture. I think not so much that we the actual text is difficult to understand, but just the concepts are so big, and to try to fit those multiple concepts together is what gets so difficult. In fact, entire theological systems have been kind of based off of a leaning towards chapter 9 or a leaning towards chapter 10. Uh, but Paul just, he goes for it. Is there a name for those systems? Like, are they well-known things? Or Well, I mean, chapter 9 is kind of an emphasis on God. And, I mean, you've got some some strong statements, like, how can the, the creature say to the creator, you can't do this? Like, God's in charge. God is the one who decides. God's allowed to, like, he's like the potter. He can uh, he can take jar, uh, lumps of clay to either be, like, wonderful decorations mm-hmm. or trash cans. <laughs> and I mean, it, it pushes some people's buttons. I know when I teach this chapter, if I ever have to take a break right after chapter nine, people are just like, what? Yeah. Um, you know, there's the illustration in here of Jacob and Esau, and uh, he's telling the Jews basically like, you can't take so much pride in the fact that God worked through you 
And just because you work through doesn't mean you all you all are automatically Christians. It's still by faith. That's the same message we've seen. Um, but then he even says, you know, for Jacob, I chose Jacob, and I. Our text says I rejected Esau. Uh, other texts have it even harsher, where it says I hated Esau before they were born. Yes, like in the womb. Like so it, nothing to do with works. Nothing. He just chose. Which, if you think about it, the big picture, you cannot choose both of them to bring about the Messiah. Like, you cannot actually have two brothers in the lineage mm-hmm. of the Messiah. So it wasn't this rejection in the sense that we understand or the hatred, but it was like, for God's plan to be accomplished, this is the way he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think with the Jews, it's the same way. It's not a rejection of the Jewish people, but since it's always by faith, like, this is the way he's did it. Can you deal with that? Can mm-hmm. you accept a God who is not just automatically saved you because you're Jewish? So it does seem like he's building on the idea we talked about, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, about what a true Jew mm-hmm. is. Um, and, and really this this circumcision of the heart as opposed to circumcision of the flesh. It's like, hey, th- this is a continuation of his idea that it's our faith in the promise of God that is bringing us right relationship with God. It's not actually like who our ancestors are. Yeah. So, Ryan, you asked what system of belief kind of comes out of this. I mean, this would be a little bit more of the Calvinist Reformed kind of perspective where a lot of emphasis on predestination, election, being chosen, which all of those things are good things. They are not negative things. That That's part of the identity of a believer. But what our human nature does with that is we say that if some have been chosen, that means some have not been. Or if some are destined to heaven, then some are destined to the other alternative. And that's that's a difficult thing. That's And that's kind of a logical conclusion. I don't know if we can fully back that up scripturally, that there is not a verse that clearly says, if A is true, that means the opposite is true. It does seem like Paul understands that wrestle. I mean, he he goes into like, okay, well, I could see how you're asking, well, how could how could this be? How could he choose one and not the other? And then that's when he talks about the, the clay mm-hmm. uh, and the creation. Um, so I think even as Paul's writing this, he's understanding that that personal human wrestle, I think. ESV has an interesting way of saying it. I kind of like it better than the version we're using. It says, what if, Mm -hmm. what if God chooses some for, for glory and some for destruction? Not a definitive he does, but what if, because the point here is to the Jews again, basically, can you deal with God that he's doing it the right way? Mm -hmm. Or do you think you know better? That's, that's why I love chapter nine. And that's why I resonate with some of those arguments is because it, it, it forces us to have an extremely high view of God yes. and his sovereignty and his, his overall plan in the world. Uh, but I, I do think it's another great way to plug basically God's whole story. Um, because if you build your whole belief in God on Romans nine, you're yeah. going to miss some pretty incredible mm-hmm. pieces, including Romans 10, <laughs> literally just turning the page um, by the same author in the same argument. Um, but it's also, you, you have to hold these things in, in uh tension with the ministry of Jesus. You have to hold these things in tension with the events in the Old Testament. Like we I have think, to actually build on God's whole story, not I just I think we also have to hold, hold them in tension <clears throat> with that uh, God is God and we are not. Yeah, of course. Like we have to embrace the mystery. Mm-hmm. If we can a God that we can completely understand is a God who's just like us. Mm-hmm. And then why do we worship a God who's just like us? That's kind of weird. Like I wow. love the mystery of God. Why do we worship a God that's like changed by our every whim? Yeah. Like, oh, I want to go this way. And then all of a sudden God's plan has to shift. Like some of the parts about God that I just like make smoke come out my ears that yeah. I just go, man, I do not understand how that works. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually the parts I love the most. Yeah. Because it, it makes him bigger than me. 
And there can be a lot of faith development in those wrestles, like a lot. I mean, don't don't be afraid to dive into some mm. of these arguments and some of these thoughts, because uh, it can actually challenge the way that you see God, and it can actually firm up, ultimately, how you deal with God. And I grew up in an era that told you not, a, not to ask questions, just yeah. to have faith, just yeah. to believe. And that that's actually pretty damaging, because, like... Imagine a God who was up in heaven threatened by our questions. Yeah. Like, wow, if they ask that question, my whole plan's going to unfold. Like that, what a fragile yeah. uh, God we have, if that's the case. But I think he says, ask away, yeah. go for it, wrestle. I'm not afraid. Um, even if you have a Romans 9 and a Romans 10, it's like, how does that work together? Yeah. Uh, he's not afraid of that. Yeah. Paul wasn't afraid. Um, and I love that, which probably means we should talk a little about Romans 10, too. I guess, I guess we have to go there, huh? So, yeah, Romans 10 would be a little bit more of the other theological spectrum that is based on, like, God uses people, and our choices have consequences, Mm -hmm. and this would be a little bit more in the line of Arminian Mm -hmm. theology. Um, When I was a missionary, I mean, there's some of the great missionary verses in here of, like, how is anyone ever going to come to faith if we don't go? Uh, And that what a great, like, compelling word to a missionary movement uh, but if we take that to an extreme, that means like God is handcuffed unless we release his power. And that isn't a really great view of God. It's a little either. weird. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, I love how this is back to back. Like you've got, God is totally in control and man, you have a part to play and your choices matter. And there's no like, you know, in between little explanation of how chapter nine fits with chapter 10. Paul just lays it out, boom and boom. And it's kind of like, there's no footnotes. There's no, there's no nine and a half. There's no nine and a half. It just is like truth and truth. So I, I definitely grew up with like a Romans 10 mindset where it's like, my choices are so radically important. They could actually impact God's kingdom. Um, And what I found just in, in my appreciation for both pieces of this nine and 10 is that, either of these like drawn out into the hyper mm. realm, they're actually pretty radically dangerous. Yeah. Cause I've seen, I've seen a lot of people that value their personal choices or think back on their personal choices so much that they can't actually comprehend at the end of their lives that God's love would cover their sin. Um, which I think is like a hyper inflated mm. Arminius view of like, man, how could I'm, I'm definitely damned for that bad choice that I made when I was 17. I literally even knew people that were so struggling to, with this, that when they had a decision to make, they were so yeah. afraid they would make the wrong decision yeah. because if that one mistake, it wouldn't just derail their life, it could derail the kingdom of God's plan. And, that, that, that and is, they were paralyzed. That is a natural out, uh, that's a natural result of this kind of theology mm-hmm. if you're hyper on this side. Now, if you're hyper on the other side, you don't ever actually go mm-hmm. and you don't ever send and you don't ever try to engage the people of the world with the gospel because God already knows who it yep. is. It'll all work out in the end. It's always you. You're always the one that's picked, right? You no, know, you, you don't ever find a, a hyper Calvinist that's like, "Well, I'm I'm not the elect." Yeah. <laughs> um, no offense, hyper Calvinists, uh, but I, it's, you just want to hold these things in tension. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to me that these these two um, lightning rod passages, really. I mean, you could build a whole worldview on one chapter or the other, and it has been done. They're right there. I mean, they're right there together, and it's funny to me how often you'll find somebody that loves to quote Romans nine and avoids Romans ten, mm-hmm. Romans ten, or somebody who loves to quote Romans ten and avoids Romans nine. So it's it's good to wrestle with these things. I would say be careful not to fall too far to the left or to the right, 
Um, and always make sure that you're, you're learning more about God and that your like appreciation and your love for God is, is growing. And the ironic thing about all this and how much division these chapters have caused is this is a book designed to bring unity. Isn't that crazy? Like this was meant to bring Jews and Gentiles together. And so in some ways, I think both people groups are being challenged to think bigger, like enlarge their view about God. Like the Jews need to know like, Hey, if God decides to include the Gentiles, who are you to argue? Yeah. And for the Gentiles, they need to like be challenged like, hey, this in some ways might have seemed like it kind of fell in your lap, but you've actually got to do something. You've mm-hmm. got to go out. You've got to talk to the other Gentiles especially and because they need to hear this message too. So it's uh, things that are designed to bring unity often bring so much division. Yikes. Uh, that's kind of par for the course. So, hey, we get another interesting passage tomorrow, though. Chapter 11 is coming. Here we go. So... See you then. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having, having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give, give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, You are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands on the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would, not, we would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel, who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, never succeeded. Why not? 
because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know that in I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth, and the words to all the world. But I ask, Did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, All day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.